Hello, this is Rob and Mike from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, and this is Think Smart with TMFG. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing helping out your children buying their first home. Mike, the housing market across this country is on fire. Housing prices over the last 12 months are up 38% across the country. In Vancouver and Toronto, the hottest housing markets, entry level is over a million dollars for a starter home. It's ridiculous. I thought before we get started in this, I wanted to understand the data about home ownership. And there's a lot of misleading data out there. And one of the first one, I saw this study by Manulife and the headline was that 75% of Canadian adults can't afford a home. And I thought, oh my goodness, that means that, you know, only 25% of Canadian adults own their own home. So I went into the data and that data is completely wrong. The numbers actually 64% of Canadians own their own home. In the past, that number as a percentage has been as high as about 68%, 69%. That's about as high as it's ever been. So we're down a little bit from that, but it's still pretty good. Almost two thirds of Canadians own their own home. So who is it that can't afford the home? Well, it's the other, call it 36% that can't afford a home. And it's only 75% of that 36%, which brings it down to about 27% or about one in four Canadians can't afford their own home. But a lot of parents want to start helping out their kids to buy that first home. What are some of the roadblocks that the, both the kids and the parents are up against, Mike? What are they? Well, I guess one of the main, main things is affordability. The parents have the dream of buying their first home because a lot of the parents grew up in the 60s and 70s and their biggest problem wasn't really the price of the home it was the interest rates they had to pay on the mortgage so it was a very different situation because interest rates change and you owe a certain amount of money that can be paid off over time a million dollar home when i think of a million dollar home i'm still thinking back you know 23 i i think of like gone with the wind and Terra. a million dollar home isn't really that anymore so it's getting to a really starter home, particularly in our area, for a million dollars. And I haven't seen the wages go up in accordance with the home prices. So they're putting them in a much more difficult situation. And it's really built on low interest rates to make it affordable. So we're, we'll go with the idea that interest rates are hopefully going to stay pretty low. And kids, if they do buy the house now, they may be able to afford their mortgage payments. So that's the first thing parents have to really look at to make sure they're not just putting their beliefs of the 1970s onto their kids because they might create a very difficult uh, future for them too. But if the kids are in a situation where you think their career is going to advance very well, they're going to continue to make more money, a home purchase is a great idea. When you look at buying homes, people always ask me about homes as an investment. And I always tell them, never look at a home as an investment. It's where you live. And if you start being concerned about how much your home is going to be worth next year or five years down the road, you're making a very poor decision. When people ask me about home ownership, I always say, think 10, 20 years down the road 
Is this where you want to be? And you're going to be happy you made that purchase. And that's why you buy a home. It's not to hope to make some more money because when you flip it, you just have to move to another home. But once you get into that, the next stage is if a parent wants to help out a child is where to get the money from. So I started looking at some data uh, and I'll give you my experience. I bought my first home. It was a townhouse. My parents had, uh, I used to live in Toronto. My parents had moved to Kleinberg. I had started my career. I was in my early 20s. And I wanted to buy a townhouse and have roommates and, you know, start to get into the housing market. And my parents at the time loaned me $15,000, which doesn't seem like much today. Back then, it was actually a fair bit of money. And if I had really realized how difficult it must have been for my parents, given that there was five kids and my father's business was struggling, I would have realized what a, what a big move my parents made in helping me out. And I had to pay that money back uh, when they passed away. That was the deal. So it was a, a lifetime loan and it came off the estate at the end of the day. How much did that home cost, Rob? It was a little over $100,000. So it's a 15% of the value. So it actually wasn't bad. No, it was, I think, a $140,000 townhouse that I bought in Thornhill. Now it was you know, it was right behind the railway track, like literally when the trains came by and they came by every half hour, 45 minutes, it felt like the train was going right through the condo. But I look today, you know, what, how much are parents helping out their kids? What's the dollar number? And the, the study says it's about a little over a hundred thousand, a hundred and three thousand dollars is how much money parents are giving their kids for their first home. So Mike, where's the best and worst place to take that money from. So it's funny, it has stayed around 10%, even from your experience now, right? Of the of the value of the home, I guess, which is your down payment. Or part of your down payment. Maybe the kids have some of their own money and the rest is coming from the parents. Yeah, ideally, if, uh, if you can get up to 25% down, you save a lot of costs. So that, that's the one goal, but most people can't get to that point in today's housing market. So let's start off with the easiest place. If you have a cash account, we have some clients who sit and keep GICs on the side or cash on the side, way more than they need for an emergency fund. This is one of those times where you should go and access that money. It might as well be helping the kids rather than sitting in a bank earning one half of 1%. And that's almost a no brainer. The second place to go from a, from a tax point is your open account. And what we look at is money that's being taxed. So when you make money in your open account, you're gonna be paying tax on it. If your kids put it down toward their house, it's now in a, from a family point of view, it's now in a tax-free asset. So that's not a bad place to help. Where would you go next, Rob? Well, depending on timing, I think you might be able to access your TFSA. Most of our clients' TFSA accounts are now well over 100,000. Some of them are approaching 140,000. And if there's a married couple, there may be 280,000 there. So the TFSA is a great place to take it from initially. So you could take $100,000 out of your TFSA and no taxes 
And then as long as you you know, get that money back into the TFSA in the future, you can put it back in the next year. So you could take it out in 2021 and put that $100,000 back in in 2022. And then you determine, you know, where does that money come from? But the yeah. TFSA is a, a great idea to take that money from, especially if it's at the end of the year and you've got money available. It's a very good time and tool. And people don't realize it's about the tax-free savings account. The problem with taking out the open account is many times you have clients with inherent capital gains and sometimes over 50%. So if you're gonna give your child, let's say $200,000, it may trigger $100,000 capital gain or $50,000 worth of taxable income. To put that all in one year's tax return can sometimes up your tax bracket or possibly lose your old age security, something along that line. So what you can do is you can remove the money from your TFSA to cover that cost and then pay the TFSA back over a two or three year period to soften that tax flow. So if we looked at it, we're saying, you know, if you've got cash available, GIC, something like that, that's a good place. Your open account, if you are investment account, that's not a bad place, except it might trigger some capital gains, may trigger rebalancing of your account. The TFSA is a good option. What are, where would be a horrible place to take it from, Mike? RSPs, I've heard that before. I want to take out my RSP to help uh, my children. RSPs are terrible because when you take it out, you can't pay it back. It's not like a TFSA. And it also creates a ton of taxable income in the year you take it out. So if you're taking out 100000 it may cost you $50,000 of taxes over and above the 100000 So the whole thing costs you 150000 Yeah. I remember a very old school way of doing it. My dad had insurance policies. And I remember him taking out some of the cash value for my sister when she bought a house and then he paid it back over time. So those are some options out there. I don't know if they use as much now. That was back in the eighties where they tend to have those big cash values on the insurance policies. And uh, people used to use them to, you know, the insurance policy was to pay their kids if they died. And along the way, it could actually help the kids too. What about the situation? You've got a lot of Canadians today with ha that have a lot of equity in their own home. What about them using that equity and taking on a reverse mortgage of their own house to help out their kids? Would that be a good strategy? I would tend to stay away from reverse mortgages. I'm dealing with one now. They're, they're terrible, terrible. I can't find anything good in them. Uh, you, can, you can take a line of credit and achieve a similar thing to reverse mortgage and have a lot more freedom inside of that. So I don't love the idea because we're in a very low interest rate environment, but we can't guarantee that's going to continue indefinitely. And taking a mortgage at one or 2%, when you look at that, it doesn't build up that fast. But if all of a sudden we return back to more normalized interest rates, let's say four or 5%, and you start taking into account the compound and value of interest on any type of mortgage or loan that's not being paid back on a regular basis, it adds up very quickly. It's interesting, you know, in uh, my wife's family, it was my wife's mother, uh, Ingrid's father had passed away when she was young. And my mother-in-law took on this reverse mortgage. And I had started in my career as a financial advisor. And I quickly realized that this re reverse mortgage was a mess. She was losing all the equity in her home. Interest rates were higher back then. 
And we spent a lot of money getting her out of this reverse mortgage. I remember using, a, you know, one of the top real estate lawyers uh, in the country to, to help us bring this reverse mortgage to an end. So I, I, I'm very reluctant to ever suggest a reverse mortgage. It's sort of a lender of last resource. I, I would you, think that, you think that would have changed, but I'm just dealing with someone now where a similar thing happened. Uh, one of their elderly relatives got approached by the bank for a uh, reverse mortgage, not actually bank, one of the trust companies. And they went to their lawyer, their lawyer refused to do it. And the trust company said, don't worry, we'll give you a lawyer. So they supplied the lawyer to go and sign all the paperwork. And I'm going through it. It's it's locked in at 6% now, interest rate. So a couple of other options. You know, one of the other options that uh, someone could do is they could actually take a line of credit on their house. And let's say they take a line of credit. Interest rates are pretty low today, you know. You could get a line of credit that's tied to a house for say two to three percent, and they could have maybe a hundred thousand dollar line of credit on their house, and the parents only have to pay interest only, and the kids get the money. What do you think of that? It could have future problems, and and the other thing too is you got to make sure this stuff is all as you said. Yours was addressed in the estate as a loan to the estate. When this happens, people forget about that. You know, they'll take a mortgage out of the house for a hundred thousand dollars they'll give the $100,000 to one child. When they die, there's no record of it. They never put that in the will or anything like that. And the $100,000 is just reduces the estate amount with no credits. Another idea is co-signing. So maybe the bank says, you know, we, we think this is a reasonable deal, but you need, the kids need a co-signer. What do you think about the parents co-signing on the mortgage that your children are going to be taking. Is that a good idea? Well, you gotta remember when you need to co-sign, that means the bank has decided that the kids can't pay it back. So you gotta <laughs> have more faith in your that. kids than the bank does. Yeah. I think, it, you know, I, I recently went through an exercise with a client where, you know, their daughter had a, uh, was buying a place, had a great job, great income, but the bank was reluctant because she was young. And so the parents needed to co-sign. And I thought, you know what? I don't see much risk here for either party. Go ahead and co-sign it, do it. I, you know, I think at times having the ability to co-sign is a good thing as long as, it, as, long as you have faith in your kids and, and what's gonna happen. It helps, but you gotta be careful for the marriage thing too. Sometimes when you have a marriage that, you know, half marriages end in divorces now. When you co-sign on a couple, you're still 100% responsible for the debt. So you got to be a bit cautious if there is any type of marital breakdowns too. With, with, with one child, with just a parent and child, it becomes a little bit more simple. But when you start getting married couples, it does add an extra layer of complexity. And a lot of times you should go see your lawyer when you're doing the, these things to make sure that you've covered your positions. Definitely. What about the idea of, you know, loaning versus a gift? How, how, what's the best way to structure it? Would you prefer, like, if you were going to give, you know, money to, to, to Dylan, your eldest, would you give it as a gift or would you give it as a loan? You're giving them $100,000, just as the example said. I'd probably do it differently. My dad used to make all of us pay interest. And uh, I think he would have foreclosed on the property if you missed a payment. He was a tough old bugger, right? <laughs> he was a little bit more harsh. <laughs> I, I would probably prefer to just give it away and forget about it, to be honest. But So if you're going to give it away, 
you know, my rule of this is if you've got multiple children, I have three, you have two, treat them all equally. And if you're going to give, and especially where I see this getting messed up is, you know, the eldest child tends to get preferential treatment. So the eldest child gets, you know, gifted 100,000, the other two children get loaned 50,000. So treat them all equally, your kids expect it. And it's really important to do it that way. So if, if you are helping out a child with a $100,000 loan or gift, make sure you've got 200,000 for the other two children or depending on how many children you have. I think that's important. Anything else, Mike, that we think we should consider here? I think that's most of the stuff I can think of. In summary, housing prices are up. Your kids probably want to get into the housing market and you may need to come and help them out. There's good ways of doing it. Talk to your advisor, bring a lawyer in to make sure it's done properly. And who knows, maybe you'll get your kids into their first home. The only thing I'll add to that, Rob, is something I've seen many times or multiple times is clients come to us after they've done things. And it's silly. Just tell us what you plan on doing and we'll give you a more efficient way to do it. I've had beans where clients say, well, this is what I did. My child had to buy a house. I did this, this, and this. And then you have to undo everything. Just talk to your advisor before you make a decision on how to do it. Talk to your advisor first. You and I have done it hundreds of times. They're doing it once. So you're absolutely right. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management reminding you to live the life that makes you happy. been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.